Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz for NFL Week 18, a.k.a. the pre-playoffs edition of the Tuesday Morning Blitz. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton, on a Monday morning and playoff football to talk about. I don't know how it could possibly be more exciting, Kale. I mean, you mentioned coming in, uh, you know, long weekend for you, maybe not like, you know, the biggest ball consumption of your life but like this is the type of thing where you know even if you're feeling c plus at the start of the day you got to be up by the time the record button hits because it's playoff football man we're locked in and frankly couldn't have better matchups i i don't think uh, the whole bit of the script writing like and the nfl really leaned into that uh in the preseason and it now makes me skeptical because it's like how did you couldn't have planned a better introductory playoff run. Completely agree. And it's it's another year where I'm not certain we need all seven playoff teams because if there's one thing to nitpick about these playoff matchups, it is the seven seeds. But the NFL has made it very clear that seven playoff teams, seven team game schedule is uh, their prerogative. It's how they're going to make the most money. Uh, Super wild card weekend. I was going to say, when are we going to stop? When are we going to stop calling it super wild card weekend? Absolutely never. I'm sick of it too, but absolutely never. And you'll notice it's another year where, uh, you know, I forget. Yeah, it's Verizon, right? So it's super wild card weekend presented by Verizon. And then next week is uh, divisional weekend presented by uh, Intuit TurboTax. So. It's not just the crazy names. It's also we're going to have, you know, 18,000 Verizon promos read to you during these games. I'm so I'm so excited to commercialize every leg of the NFL playoffs. And not <laughs> exactly. The finale. Yeah. Well, we got to do our Super Bowl commercials draft very soon, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, before they drop the uh, – the cheater ads or the the cheater articles that we always pick up on. So we gotta we gotta get that together quick. Lots of lots of other playoff action outside the white lines that we have to look forward to. Yes, indeed. We've gotta I'd say set the deadline for that bi divisional weekend. Yeah, I think so. Now before we get to super wild card weekend, we've got some business to clean up. Uh, most notably it is Black Monday. And I would say a lighter Black Monday than we've experienced in recent years. The major firings today, uh, many of which trickled out, you know, Sunday morning into Sunday night. And, you know, were finalized today. Goodbye to Ron Rivera, former Commanders head coach. Arthur Smith, former Falcons head coach. Scott Fitterer, former Carolina Panthers GM. And noteworthy, not Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick as of this posting, still the head coach of the New England Patriots and gave a press conference this morning in which he basically said, I'm still under contract. Your move, Rob. So that's where we're at with Black Monday. Kale, what jumps off the page most to you out of those? Uh, feels weird to fire the Panthers. Like the Panthers GM was the longest tenured of the bunch, had uh, survived the Matt Rule firing. Uh, not the longest tenured of the bunch, but like, Weirdly longly, uh, long tenured. I thought when you would get rid of Reich, you'd get rid of Fitter. Uh, 
I don't – we'll get to the two head coaches in a second. I don't think keeping Belichick around through Black Monday is that weird in the sense that you're never going to dismiss a 21-year uh, legendary six-time Super Bowl winning head coach at the drop of a hat. Uh, what I thought was more telling was how ravenous like Atlanta and Washington were for Belichick – uh, as early as like Saturday night reporting, uh, but them not making a decision in New England. I a small part of me is now like, are they just going to keep him and run it back? Like, I don't know how you trust Belichick to develop at this point. Jaden Daniels, maybe Drake May, maybe Michael Penix, Bonex, Bonex had have a heart attack, but. I know he's like a different. I know he's a different quarterback than it was at Auburn, but I can't like, like Brady and Bonex played at the same time. It, like being more realistic, Herbert and Bonex played at the same time, which feels insane. Same with Michael Penix, though. To be fair, I, I get it, but I love Michael Penix. I enjoy watching him play football, and I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. But he's also uh, he's also he might be an octogenarian, and he also might have uh, ravioli for ACLs. So these are my main concerns with Bex. Yeah, I can't do that again. Uh, that, like, I, I just think of RG3. Uh, uh, Jane Daniels, who knows. Uh, but regardless, uh, I don't think his his dismissal, if it comes, will come later. The press conference is also very telling that uh, he was talking a lot about uh, would he relinquish uh, GM control and – it was interesting that he kind of has in the past, but like he, he already has developed a, a you know a president, a player personnel, a uh, system for getting a bunch of guys in the building and doing recruiting outside of him and doing scouting outside of him, not recruiting, but uh, the fact that he always had final say. And I'm curious as to what a Belichick roster without final say looks like or a Belichick roster without – a Bill disciple at OC. I wonder. That's what, what I was going to say. I want to know what a Bill coaching staff without Bill having the final say would look like. And I know most coaches have a lot of say in who's on their staff, but like the biggest thing to me, aside from like, you know, drafting's one thing, player development hasn't been good by any means, but also like he's never hired anyone to his coaching staff, essentially uh, to a top tier position that he didn't already know or promote from within. So you need a real offensive coordinator this year, and whether that comes with Bill at head coach or not, that's the thing I'd be most concerned about with keeping Bill is, like, can you hire somebody that you don't already have in your phone? I, I simply do not know. And also you've now got to likely replace Gerard Mayo, who in the last three weeks has talked about how it's his, uh, like he feels he is ready for a head coaching opportunity. He will take that in New England or elsewhere. Uh, he's a big asset, and he's pretty universally praised around the league. Uh, probably would have made that top five defensive coordinators uh, poll from, uh, I think it was the NFLPA, if he had a DC title, which he hasn't, he's still a linebackers coach. Right. Uh, yeah. Enough about the coach that hasn't been fired. 
Uh, yeah. I'm curious before, I mean, before you move on, I am curious about whether Mayo would have like a realistic shot at another head coaching gig, just because a, there aren't that many open right now, especially if the Raiders hang on to Antonio Pierce and B, you know, like there's a lot of teams that are very clearly more so looking for offense, uh, and, you know, defensive head coach, first time head coach, it's working right now with Ryan's, uh, I'd think Flores might get another shot before Mayo got another shot too. So that would be a defensive name that might have an edge over him. So interested to see if Mayo, you know, were to get that shot, assuming the Patriots do not give him that opportunity and get rid of Belichick this year. The thing with that is there's a, we've seen nothing but offensive head coaching hiring cycles. Uh, The biggest names being, you know, Steichen, uh, McDaniel, uh, like, you know, every possible, uh, you know, McVeigh, Shanahan disciple we've seen. And, and it's starting to come, starting to come back around with, uh, some defensive hirings, Gannon, uh, D'Amico in uh, D'Amico Ryan's in uh, Houston. Like we're starting to see more defensive hirings, and eventually the counter to all the hyper offensive ball will be defensive talent. Because frankly, there's just a like because of all the offensive hiring, there's a logjam of defensive hiring. There is too much, like there's too much good defensive talent that will probably see a good defensive wave in part because we just saw such a strong defensive year from the NFL and we're always a little weight to the zag. That is like offenses picked up around the league before the offensive hiring cycle wave and defensive play will pick up and continue to rise before we get the defensive wave. So this might be like commanders today are interviewing both Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn. Like they're interviewing the defensive side of the ball, they might go double down on defense. And like the Falcons are looking for defense. The you know, there's still going to be guys like the enemy are going to get head coaching gigs. And even Antonio Pierce, like they still need to interview two minority coaching candidates in addition to Pierce to hire him uh, from interim to full time head coach. So Mayo will likely get an interview there. Like you know, uh, oh no, they just fired Ziegler. Uh, I was going to say, like, there are New England con- uh, roots and connections within that building, but, like, we'll still probably get one regardless because he's one of the top head coaching candidates on the market right now. So, I don't know. Dan Quinn probably gets a job soon. Flora, as you said, uh, put on a master class, getting an underperforming squad uh, to a uh, pretty elite uh, defensive status, a complete turnaround there. Uh, so there's just a huge wealth of defensive talent in the league right now. We'll kind of see how that shakes out going forward. But you are right. I did think there would be more jobs. Like, well, that's I what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there are only technically five with one of them being the Raiders, which, you know, I'm not going to say it's pseudo-filled, but every player in the building is calling for Pierce. And yesterday, Mark Davis doesn't give a very encouraging answer on Pierce, but like, I still think I would be more surprised than not if Pierce was hired. And then aside from that, it's Carolina, it's uh, Atlanta, it's Washington, and it's LA. Those are the four about LA. that I can think of. Uh, I'm shocked they're sticking with Aberflus in Chicago. I'm surprised 
they're sticking with a full regime in uh, in the New York Jets building. Uh, there, there's so many jobs I'm surprised are still – I'm shocked the Saints are still sticking with their guys. I was going to give you the Saints. I, I think the Saints are the main – if you're looking at my headline, you're saying, uh, why does Jackson think Black Monday missed the markets? Because Dennis Smith is still walking to down. New Orleans. The uh, – who are you more not, – not that there is, like, I, I think both were writing on the wall. Is there – of the two, would you see either – like, would you see Arthur Smith or Ron Rivera coming back into the mainstream cycle of getting another job? Not necessarily head coaching job, but doing a really good job as a respective coordinator. So Ron Rivera is interesting to me because he's 62 and a cancer survivor. So I don't know if he's like interested in that, you know, like now would be a really good time probably for Ron Rivera to, you know, spend time with the family, uh, had a really, really good football career, uh, never got the ring obviously. So if that's something he's interested in, you know, you could see him going back out on the market and trying to get something. But to me, that sound, that sounds more like, you know, the current Jim Caldwell role, you know, front office consultant, easy hours, don't have to be on site every day. That that would be my preference if I were Ron Rivera, but I'm not Ron Rivera. And maybe he does still have that fire. Uh, Arthur Smith, I think, you know, he's he's not getting a head coaching job this cycle. He's not one of those guys. I think that's clear. Uh, but I do think that, you know, still turning the tires there. Go revamp your image somewhere as an offensive coordinator it did go really poorly for him. Like of all the firings, he was probably the one where like he messed up the cushiest possible position in that division with that kind of talent on his offense. So I think major accomplishments would have to be had in his next role for him to get back in the head coaching conversation. I still think he could be an awesome coordinator. I just think sure. he'd like his issue was he just never had a quarterback. He had the last year of Matt Ryan. He had, the Mariota Ritter combination, and he had then Ritter Heineke. Yeah, three years of never having a single quarterback option is going to be tough. Uh, did he even have? I, I might be misremembering if he had uh, the one year of Ryan, or if that was still Dan Quinn. Uh, did he not only- Dan Quinn? Did they have another coach between Quinn and Arthur Smith? I. I want to say they did, but maybe I'm misremembering that. I'm looking that up. <laughs> no, I, that's it. Raheem Morris. They, they had Raheem Morris in 2020, but Arthur Smith was the last year of uh, was the last year of Matt Ryan. That um, sounds right. Yeah, the uh, Raheem Morris was the interim for Dan Quinn. Uh, gotcha. So, oh yeah. Okay. So now I'm now I'm having recollections of 2020 Dan Quinn getting fired, yeah. and I didn't. Wouldn't have been able to tell you who the intern was, but I didn't feel like they went straight from, oh, Dan Quinn's fired because Arthur Smith's his replacement. And in a way, I was right. But yeah, I mean, basically just Quinn and Smith have been their guys since we were in high school. But straight so, up not having a, you know, not even like I'm not asking for a 4,000 yard passer, but like straight up a guy who can put the ball on a receiver. Like even if you talk about the waste of, three top 10 picks uh, at three respective skill positions 
like he was still able to get great games out of Tyler Algier and Johnny Smith. Like he was able to generate some level of explosives and he was able to like put some of the players he used in positions to win. It's just, he had nobody a quarterback and a kind of middling offensive line situation. Like, I, think I think he's guys too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Algier and Johnny Smith are, you know, they're, they're nobody's, third options like they're obviously not first round talents like those other guys but they're also really useful parts of the offense that the next guy will will want to utilize in addition to whichever they keep out of london Pitts, and Bijan. yes i they'll have all of them building it'll be interesting. it should right i mean the only thought is like maybe do you trade pits for assets but his value is at a, at a low so i don't see that happening um and yeah i mean mostly you just need defense so you should have your offense figured out. I mean, maybe you'd like to add one more receiver, but other than that, they're pretty well stocked. I someone's got to knock off Tampa Bay. I I'm very pumped about the. Uh, I'm very pumped that Tampa Bay will be the representative, if only because they are the most competent uh, team going forward. But someone's someone's got to win the AFC South. And it likely won't be New Orleans or Carolina anytime soon. No. Well, New Orleans, I mean, maybe they, maybe they just keep performing cat magic until they're a failed state like 2004 Greece. But uh, I was I was going to say they, they deflate their cap dollars like the Zimbabwe trillion dollar bill. Yeah. Yeah. No, the value of one Saints dollar is like, you know, one – one one Saints contract is a seventh round or an undrafted free agent. Everyone on the Saints is is living in a poorhouse like Brock Purdy. That's how it's going to be in five years. Kale's yawning, folks. Oh, they, I don't know. They're going to be. They the who else? Who else is in that twenty two receiving class? Just in hell. Like it's it's at this point, Lake <laughs> London. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Who are the other guys I'm leaving off that are just in, just in a perpetual state of quarterbackless purgatory? George Pickens. Uh, I don't know if you want to count like Traylon Burks is a weird one. Uh, man, the rest I'd of them are pretty I'd well. Jahan Dotson, you could argue. Yes, I I would argue Jahan Dotson is good. Yeah, I mean, Jamison Williams, it's his problem, not the Lions. Uh, and the Lions are good. It's just he's not. John Mechie, can he be on the field? Wandale, uh, what are your thoughts on Wandale Robinson? Wandale's nice. Wandale's nice as hell. And he can't be the uh, – when the Giants stops running gadget plays and having a quarterback. I would put him in, like, the quarterback purgatory situation for sure. Yeah. But he just can't stay healthy. Taekwon. I'd throw Tyquan in there for the quarterback hell. We don't know what the heck he's capable of at all. Not in, not like Tyquan he's shown us be, anything, but also not his fault. Tyquan could be Tyreek Hill, and he's just played with quarterbacks who can't throw ten yards. Whoa. I'm just saying we don't know. We don't know. He could be he could be a burner, and we just don't know. Same with Sky Moore, just a quarterback who can't throw to him. Yeah. No, I put. <laughs> Did forget about Sky Moore, the guy that maybe we were highest on just because of the team he got drafted to. Um, I was yeah. I was high on him if only because of the uh, – I was like, dude, small school. Like, everyone's sleeping on him. 
all the reports. I forget if he was senior or Shrine Bowl, but he was one of them. And I was like, everyone's sleeping on Sky Moore. He's going to be awesome. Now he's in the Chiefs. He's going to be incredible. And it just never worked. Uh, it is funny. I guess Dubs is one. Uh, Romeo Dubs. Khalil Shakir's in this draft. God, they're dudes. They are. I mean, I think I, I, I think Dubs has been a pretty resounding success in Green Bay. Don't you think? I mean, for a guy, uh, yeah, he has late he had a, influx of talent around him. I mean, Watson's the disappointment between the Watson's two of them. Still like that. Which is which he is this could be good? Is it, is it this? It, Watson is this draft. Watson is the one I'm thinking of. There's yeah. so there's so many people in hell in this draft. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's not Jordan Love's fault that. Christian no. Watson can't stay on the field. It's, it's Jordan will receive MVP votes. Love's fault? Absolutely not. So he'll get like third place. He'll I get want it. to talk about. I wanted to talk about them, but mostly just in a sense of like, if you're a Chicago Bears fan, are you just in hell right now? Like, freaking Jordan Love just beat you twice and made the playoffs in his first year as a starter after everyone popped champagne when Aaron Rodgers was finally on the way out. Your guy yeah, is probably gone because of contract situations and resetting the quarterback clock, and Jordan Love is a playoff starter. You knew this was going to happen. Jordan Love had a 4,000-yard season before any Chicago Bears quarterback in the 103-year franchise history has, 102-year. Uh, it's it's bad out here. It's really not. It's not good. The uh, – the Justin Fields saying goodbye to Chicago felt pretty real. And, you know, while Just, I agree Justin with Fields the decision, it is it is no. still like it's tough to be on to the next one if you're Chicago. I mean, you felt like there was a good chance that this was the one. And as much as you feel like you have an even better chance to hit on the next one, it, it doesn't happen until it happens. And the Packers just never have to worry about it. Justin Fields is going to be so sick in Atlanta. Agreed. I'm or sorry. Pittsburgh. Or no, not Pittsburgh. We're not sending him to Pittsburgh. I, <laughs> I refuse. Like him in Pittsburgh. I won't. What do, you, have what do you want Mason Rudolph back in Pittsburgh next year? What's your solution for them? We'll figure it out. I'm not solving Pittsburgh. I'm solving Atlanta. I'm trying <laughs> to make the coolest team possible on my NFL uh you know ultimate Madden franchise reset. I'm taking over the Falcons and I'm making them cool again. Red helmets all the time, if that's uh if that's your goal, red helmets are the, the number one solution. Uh, no, we're wearing we're wearing the ombre numbers. We're wearing the the fade numbers all the time. I don't have the fade numbers. That's L.A. has the fade numbers. They have the fade jerseys. They have the they fade have jerseys. The jerseys. jerseys. Oh, we're wearing the fade jerseys. They look like icy logos. Shit's crazy. The isn't it black to red? I thought there was like very like Vader. It's color. red, red at the shoulders, and then it turns black by the bottom yeah. and just flows cool right into hell. black. Pants. Cool as hell. It's so bad. You're so know. back. Um, why would you gradient those two? Whatever, I'm done. Uh, I think we we, so we're gonna do reverse order of the show this week. We're gonna do all our admin stuff now, game balls, uniforms, head scratchers, and then we're gonna preview. The six playoff matchups, uh, seat of the pants there, just what we're looking forward to. But first off, game balls. Offensively, fresh in our minds, Kale, who did you have? This was the most Josh Allen game of all time. Uh, the He does such dumb stuff, and it's so cool. 
Uh, I I wish I had a quarterback this talented and this himbo. Just absolute, like, moronic interception. Like, throws you should not make. Uh, and then, like, all of a sudden he's barreling over Cater Kohu on a third and 13, fighting for every last inch of yard. The the pure gall of this man uh, never ceases to impress me. Uh, I I love Josh Allen. I fear Josh Allen. And most importantly, I respect Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen gets an offensive game ball. And it, <laughs> I wanted to throw this out. Uh, is it the most Josh Allen stat to lead the league in both touchdowns and almost interceptions? Like, if you didn't just have a historically bad Sam Howell season – or just a high volume passing Sam Howell season, uh, you would like Josh Allen would lead the league with eighteen interceptions. He, I, he might be close on turnovers, but thirty of thirty eight, three fifty nine, two touchdowns, two interceptions, an additional fumble in there. Uh, just just goaded sixty seven yeah. rushing yards too. Just all time Josh Allen game. Yeah, it's the all time like. You know, it always looks worse with him in the in the box score in terms of the turnovers. Like, yes, he turned it over three times. I'm not saying it's acceptable. Turnovers one are – One of them was a fourth and two where it got picked off in the end zone, so it actually helped them. Like, it was better that the DB caught it instead of it dropping to the ground. Like, he's going to have turnovers, but he's also going to, like – he's going to have turnovers that don't really hurt the team, and that was the classic case of one of them. Like, the Bills, as much as they wouldn't want to have a quarterback who's – closely in the league in turnovers, they rarely get so badly burned by those turnovers that like I'd much rather have a, a volatile guy than a guy that just has no volume. Like Bryce Young barely turned the ball over this year, but you know, the worst efficiency rookie season since uh Josh Rosen. Like there are there are very different ways to hurt the team. And right now I think we're in this wave of like it is okay to turn it over once, even twice a game. I think the, the Cleveland Browns with Flacco have figured that out to a T. Like we're just going to chuck it all over the yard and try to make stuff happen now. And most of the time, we're either going to get a deep ball to Amari Cooper or a pass interference. Like that's just – that's kind of the, the new wave of offense right now if you don't have, you know, top-tier playmakers and a top-five quarterback. From an EPA perspective, and, and PFF's been on this tip for a while, interceptions don't matter that much. Like you'd rather – like, you don't want a full-on Jameis season, but you'd rather have Josh Allen as your quarterback than, you know, just a guy who's overly cautious. Because you yeah. just get you get more plus out of it. Like, you'd rather a guy willing to take those shots than not. So yeah. I don't even care about the interceptions. And that also kind of makes what C.J. Stroud did this year. And even Jordan Love, the last, like, second half of the year where he only had the three interceptions, all that more impressive is, like, those guys weren't sacrificing volume to do it, whereas a lot of quarterbacks who didn't have many turnovers this year, it was, like, high key at the sacrifice of volume. So, shout-outs all around, and, and I completely agree with your Josh Allen game ball. I mean, forget the turnovers, 430 yards in a clinching game, including some, like, massive big balls runs. Like, that's... That's how you hand it out right there. Uh, so I'll go next, and I will give my offensive game ball to Nico Collins. I feel as though that is fairly self-explanatory because he was the Houston Texans passing offense in a playoff clinching game. 
for just set the tone immediately. First play from scrimmage, 75 yards, house call. And, you know, as much as this is like a CJ Stroud hold the laces of the game ball type of performance, uh, he has the third and long, I forget exactly how many yards, but Stroud off his back foot, tight window throw right to Nico Collins, tackled inside the 10 and horse collar to set up the game winning touchdown. And I think the most telling stat, nine catches, 195 yards and a touchdown, only nine targets, didn't miss once all night. I don't know how, if you're Indianapolis, you're seeing this Nico Collins game and you're not like, I'm putting four guys on Nico Collins. Other than that, all they had was Dalton Schultz, who only had one catch until the fourth quarter, and John Mechie, who, you know, love John Mechie as a prospect, basically hasn't figured into a game plan until now because of necessity out of all these guys getting hurt. So don't know how you didn't do more to stop Nico Collins, but shout out to him because he killed the Indianapolis Colts. Shout out to him. This was the it, – it, it's not like we've been waiting on Nico Collins. Nico Collins has already arrived this season, but he really has been so tal- – uh, like just so good for this Texans team. In, in, a, in a season where it was, you know, maybe going to be a Robert Woods, you know, we talked – we'd already talked about how Mechie, uh, unfortunately, cannot uh, stay – on the field. Tank uh, Dell. Tank Dell is the tiniest good receiver in the league. Uh, cannot say on the field. Noah Brown is uh, also in that camp of just, you know, not – he's not a legit wide receiver too. So having him in there is is always going to be a bit of a, a bit of a gamble. But – Nico Collins through and through has just been so reliable and part of the reason why Houston was able to have this kind of resurgent uh, return to form. A, a, not quite a uh, – no, they, they hit double-digit win season. Ten win seasons big. That's Absolutely. that's quite the turnaround for them. Started 0-2 and, and made – Going 10-5 in your last 15. Yeah. No, they – and not just that, but it's like Nico Collins at the start of the year, you would have said, like him as a prospect, could be a good wide receiver too, maybe like low-end wide receiver one, like firmly established himself by the end of the season as a wide receiver one. And when they get Dell back next year, now that's like they have two very different, you know, I'm not going to say they're both ones, but they're both really good and they have completely different, you know, ways you can use them. Uh, and the other thing I like about it is uh, Stroud, uh, Stroud, Ohio State, Collins, Michigan. Like that's that's a fun pairing to like dominate the league potentially for the next ten years. Is two guys that hated each other as of a few years ago. Yeah, there's Nico had this had like was good behind Brandon Cooks. It's just we did not. It is you never bad. know until they get He's the right to throw to him. He he was like again, like you said, good prospect. And, and promising, you didn't want to be too high on him, but like now is a legitimate asset to this team, and that's important. That's that's like that's special. Absolutely. Now, let's move on and talk defense. And I'll switch up the order here. How about a guy on a team that clinched the playoffs yesterday without scoring a touchdown? How about a guy who is still a vestige of a Super Bowl winning defense from a few years ago? And a guy who made the play of the day on defense yesterday, Antoine Winfield Jr. 
I'll set the stage. It is just a game where the neither offense can get going whatsoever. As it turns out, the Panthers end the season having not scored in their final two games, a.k.a. they will, will be in September and they won't have scored since Christmas, which is a tough look. Uh, but anyway, they almost scored. They should have scored. Uh, long pass down the sideline. DJ Chark breaks free, going for the goal line, dives at the pylon, and Antoine Winfield Jr. pulls the, you know, the, the peanut Tillman punch while the dive is in midair. I mean, you can talk crap on DJ Chark all you want for not holding the ball, but that is an all-time heads-up play. Needs to be some luck involved, too, that the ball stays in bounds, I guess. Still a touchback if it goes out of bounds, so I retract. Like, that's just – that's such a sick play, and who knows, you know? Like, they didn't score a touchdown, so even though they ended up getting nine points – if the Panthers get a touchdown there, that can completely flip that game. And the Bucs clearly weren't going to get anything going on offense. So it's dicey. It's a dicey proposition as to whether they make the playoffs if Antoine Winfield Jr. doesn't step up there. It is nice to know, though, that the uh, <laughs> that single-handedly kept the uh, very funny stat alive of uh, – the Panthers did not score a point in their final eight quarters of football. That's funny. That's tough. That's really tough. Also tough that, uh, I mean, I'll just, I'll just expose myself here. Uh, we, we've talked a lot this year about, you know, the wins draft and, uh, you know, basically just how I didn't have a good read on this NFL season. I drafted the Patriots. I drafted the Carolina Panthers. Things, things weren't good. Similarly, uh, we did an NFL preseason props podcast. I didn't do well. I did save it with my uh, TJ Watt to lead the league in sacks at plus 850. That would have hit, and I would have probably made all my money back on the props podcast. But I had three quarterback scale to go over on their passing yards props this year. You all know who those three quarterbacks were? It was Russell Wilson, Mac Jones, and Bryce Young. Those are my three guys. So. Hand up. Did not do a good job reading the NFL quarterback scene this year. You did not. And I said Lamar Jackson was MVP. So, you know, two sides, the same coin. Look, I mean, I can I can give everyone their bad picks. That's not what I'm – I'm just here to talk about me, Gail. You don't have to. I don't have to go over the top. No, no, no. We can. You don't have to. You don't have to bring up drafting. Uh, you know the the two most middling teams in the NFC South. Uh, you know, in the fifth and sixth round of the wins draft. Uh, you don't have to bring that up. That's fine. It's, it's actually fourth and fifth if you want to get real specific. Uh, the thing about the wins draft is it is crazy that. Like any team that I could have picked after the Panthers, which I considered to be just like, you know, one of the last few draftable teams. And Nolan had just stolen the Rams from me, which I thought was a good pick. And they get to 10 wins. The teams that were either taken or not taken behind the Panthers in our wins draft were the Texans, the Colts, the Bucks, and then the Cardinals. So the only one that didn't like massively outperform the Panthers was the Cardinals. And even they would have been a clear upgrade. Meanwhile, you could have picked three teams that won at least nine games. So when we, when we do that next year, fans at home, do not stop listening after the eighth and ninth round because every single pick matters a lot. That's where the, uh, 
that's where the draft really gets made. Because frankly, the biggest the biggest fall off was the uh, going like all of us picked some of our worst teams in the uh, you know as the golden goose. I literally my lowest team was or lowest win team was my golden goose team, and then went on to pick the. Uh, eight win Raiders and nine win Colts. <laughs> sure did. And uh, let's, not, let's not forget about that. Like, you know, there's there's teams we think are going to be mid that end up being bad. So that fifth, sixth round can really kill you as well. You, you as mentioned, had the two bad NFC South teams that still won, you know, enough games. Nolan takes the Chargers, who absolutely bought him out. And then, of course, I had the Pats. So when when we when we look back, I, I do just want to take a break. We we are halfway through game balls, and we will get back to them. But I do just want to take a break and and do some regular season reflecting. When you look at like who had the most disappointing season, like not just like that's not just saying bad season. That is saying fall below expectations. They're like maybe I'm just kind of numb to the the Chargers being a bottom five team in the league, as as am I the Pats. It feels like there weren't many teams that were just outright performed well under expectations. Like, is it outside of Jacksonville, who is legitimately like abject failure of a season? Yeah. And and I'd throw I'd throw the Saints in that category because of the ease of their schedule and just underperforming that. But it's Dead not last even in the same the it's not even in the same ballpark. Same with the Falcons. But like I mean, I'll give you another one. It's not not without cause, but the New York Jets were drafted tenth in our wins pool and were eliminated by Thanksgiving. And I know it's because one very specific guy got injured, but they didn't even try to replace him, and we know why. I did just want to. I did. I. I have been. Uh, I have a self-refreshing Twitter feed on the uh, on my side monitor, and I did just want to throw in a uh, a nice two-tweet series from uh, from Rich Samini. Uh, the oh, where is it? It's Rogers. Rogers got to the po- uh, the podium. Uh, Aaron Rodgers won't address his Kimmel comments. He says, tune in tomorrow on the McAfee show. Hashtag Jets. Immediate follow-up tweet. Aaron Rodgers offered a candid take on what the Jets need to do to turn it around. Flush the bullshit, meaning eliminate everything that is not directly involved in winning. (laughs) Nice twofer. (laughs) Tune in tomorrow on McAfee to hear about how I'm going to flush the bullshit. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think for for all anyone wants to say about Nick Wright, I've been just like locked in everything Nick Wright says lately about Aaron Rodgers. It's been incredible. I've had, I've had Nick Wright blocked on Twitter for years, so I don't see like Mahomes rants and LeBron rants. And now the clips have just naturally come to my timeline uh, and circumvented that. And he's spitting, actually. He's, <laughs> he's, it, he's, he's spitting. That Syracuse education coming out when he needs it. Ah, oh, man, like that's that's bad if you're the Jets. Like this is this is the off season starting off on a very sour note. Um, yeah, I got I got nothing more to add. 
Aaron Aaron Rodgers will be the Tuesday morning blitz bozo of the year. Irie Harris bozo of the year. So you can look forward to that pod for many other awards that we won't tip ahead of time. But if anyone doesn't vote for Rodgers on that one, I don't know what we're doing here. The full the full quote from the athletic Zach Rosenblatt. Uh, Anything in this building that we're doing that has nothing to do with winning needs to be assessed. Everything that we do has to have a purpose. The bullshit that has nothing to do with winning has to get out of the building. So, uh, good call. Uh, <laughs> we're all trying to find the guy who did this. What are uh, you talking about, dude? Uh, <laughs> my, my defensive game ball uh, to a to a fun New York story. Uh, Xavier McKinney, uh, in a full dismantling of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, who, in terms of disappointing seasons, uh, quite the close to their year. Uh, McKinney had a pair of picks, uh, probably one of the better uh, noteworthy uh, single defensive performances. It didn't mean anything in the grand scheme. Uh, Giants, you know, only moved down to six overall in their draft pick. It kept – it didn't quite, like, keep the Eagles out of the two seed. Uh, It just kind of put insult to injury on their uh, Dallas clinching uh, two seed play. But – I did just want to point out there are a ton of giants who will like the giants are having a huge uh, face change. Uh, And it was really, there there are a lot of these sorts of moments in the NFL. You saw Derek Henry address uh, the Tennessee Titans crowd, uh, thanking them for the best eight years of his life. Uh, We touched on the last day of Justin Fields. You saw the potential goodbye to Belichick, but the Giants, for some reason, like really, really wore my cockles. Like really, really touched my heart. Whoa! You've never heard that? No. Never heard that term? Well, learn something new every day, Jackson. The thank you. Uh, C O C H L E S, I believe. Uh, but the uh, Giants wave goodbye to. Uh, Sterling Shepard gave – it took time to uh, stop in the red zone and really give him a a standing O, like full offensive line, like pumping up the crowd to get cheers going for Sterling Shepard, who looked pretty emotional in the moment. Saquon has been talking a lot how he wants to be a giant for life and the writing on the wall is that he will not be after this season. Uh, He – also had a potential game ball worthy performance with a, I believe, yeah, pair of rushing touchdowns, less overall production, but came within a stone's throw of a uh, of a hundred yards and had a pretty big forty six yard long gain there. Uh, and McKinney's one of those guys, uh, second round pick uh, in the final year of his rookie deal, uh, drafted in twenty twenty. Uh, who knows what, uh, he will, uh, if he's getting brought back, there might be uh, a bit of a face change. The Giants are expecting to have Kafka and Wink back. Although Wink has talked about wanting another head coaching opportunity, but good luck brother. In terms of just having guys in the building, uh, like, you know, there's going to be a lot of new faces in New York, especially if. 
I guess New York's riding that Daniel Jones, but like there's going to be just a lot of new faces and a lot of giant staples going by the wayside. And it was a very emotional, uh, emotional day. So if this is the last game for Xavier McKinney in a Giants uniform, good way to cap it off. Of all the teams that won six games or fewer this year, probably the most cathartic end to the season for the Giants. Uh, you had. You know, the full circle moment of getting absolutely blown out on your home field to open the season by a division rival in the Cowboys. And then you get to, you know, close it off with uh, absolutely beating the crap out of another division rival who's going to the playoffs. So, you know, even though you you clearly failed on your you know stated goals at the start of this season, you get to kind of wreck the Eagles on the way out and their playoff hopes are looking like they're in shambles. Uh, and it was a weird season, start to finish. You know, you had the two and eight start. You had the, the weird Tommy Cutlet side project. Uh, you had Tyron coming back and actually looking good. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, the Giants had a bad season, but there were times when they looked like they could have a bright future. And obviously that future is going to look a lot different than the roster was this year. So you're right. Like it was a nice cathartic way to end the season and kind of send some of those guys off on a high note. So props to the New York Giants and, of course, their, uh, their lovely stadium, MetLife Stadium, the host of yesterday's drubbing. Special teams game balls, I I don't want to do this every week, Kale, but are we in agreement that there's just one this week? There's one. The, the single most game-changing special teams play of the week. It, it's so funny that so many of the one-score games just ended on touchdowns, which is usually not the case in one-score games in my mind. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's only one special teams game ball this week. Yeah, 96-yard punt return touchdown from Deontay Hardy completely changes the complexion of Sunday Night Football and, by extension, the AFC East title. Josh Allen obviously took it from there, helped that uh, the Dolphins' offense continually shot itself in the foot in the second half, uh, and we can dissect uh, you know, the anatomy of uh, Tyreek Hill injury leading to uh, a throwing his last pass of the game to Chase Claypool, of all people, and that being intercepted. But uh, none of that happens without a clear, uh, you know, momentum shifting. I mean, Deontay Hardy, not only did he house that, it was just like it was he was gone by the time he hit the 30-yard line. It was an electric run back, not well covered, certainly. Uh, and again, they were down seven. Not only did they tie it, but the Dolphins never even threatened to score again after that. So well done, Deontay Hardy. Uh, anything else on that game, Kale? Because as I mentioned, Dolphins not looking too hot right now. <laughs> I, I'm more worried, respectively, about the Eagles and the Dolphins. But uh, we talked last week. Dolphins are having a bit of a uh, just a talent dearth right now. Uh, you lose Bradley Chubb for playing him too late. You've got Melvin Ingram is going to be a like rotational guy, uh, you know, coming in for the occasional pass rush. And now he is, he's like dropping into coverage, playing starting edge. Like he is. He was the funniest looking guy on the field last night. It was, it was the Drewski Pat Ricard meme all over again. I don't want to like, you know, we're not, we're not shaming anyone out here, but Melvin Ingram looks huge out there and he's trying to chase down Khalil Shakir on a wheel route. Like that's not going to end well. I mean, it is, it's not his place. It's just like, that's not speaking against him. Like, he is a, he's 30, he's like 100 days away from turning 35. He's 6'2, 250 D end. That's like a true, like, 
not edge DNs. Like he is just not meant to be in coverage roles against gadget slot receivers. Yeah. I thought you were just say he is just not 250 because I do not think Melvin Ingram is still 250. He, he's probably, he's, he's, yeah, I don't know. I won't. As a, as a man who's probably about his weight, I won't. <laughs> fair, very fair. Uh, the number nine part of it was just very funny to me as well. It's like, we can't get this guy a double digit number. You got to like, got to make him look like the biggest guy on the field with that number nine in the middle of his chest. No, frankly, we've got to start giving offensive linemen single digits. Like we've got to like really <laughs> lean into it. How about a double zero out there? I feel like that's a good offensive line number as well. Let's go uh, uniforms. I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible on my uniforms this week. I had one written down. The one I had written down was Chicago Green Bay, and I wasn't in love with it at all. Uh, but I think it was one of those like late season classic uniforms on a classic field. Like at least gets me excited, and I didn't have anything else to shout out. I'm gonna give it to. Not a game that I liked for the uniforms, but a game that I have exciting news to report on because uh, the Houston Texans, who did defeat the Indianapolis Colts, as we know, are getting new uniforms next year. But uh, we've got a Houston Chronicle article out today. Uh, We've already known that the Texans will have four new uniforms next year. What we did not know was uh, the team's head of marketing and communications, Doug Vosick, has quotes in this article, uh, and he says he thinks all corners of the fan base will find what they're looking for in at least one of the four new designs. So let me let me try to get you excited about the Texans' new uniforms for next year, Kale. Here is his quote, my Tuesday morning reading. Vosick says, we said, okay, if you want timeless traditional, here's the one uniform that answers that. If you want to take it one step further and say timeless traditional gets refreshed, we have one for that. If you said... Hey, I'm into this bull thing. Let's get wild. We have one for that. And if someone said, hey, I want you to pay homage to H-Town Blue, which is that Oilers Blue, and the players are saying, I want something tough. I want something mean. We've got something for that. All I heard was, hey, I'm into this bull thing. Let's get wild. Bring it on, dude. I did hear this bull thing. (laughs) Uh I am I am so excited. I hope I hope there's creativity. I hope there's some weirdness. I hope there is a jersey that does not age well in three years, but I will love it all the same. Uh, I'm excited. You've you you have really gotten me excited about this. Let's get wild, man! I it couldn't be couldn't be more stoked about that specific jersey out of this set. A timeless traditional, whatever. I'll see what you mean by that. They've already said they're not changing the logos. They're not overhauling the colors although like 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 they said they will have one uniform that incorporates the the oilers blue but yeah man let's 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 change things up in houston so to honor uh the the prospect of getting wild and getting into this bull thing i will give the texans my uniform game ball for this week not the colts just the texans (laughs) yeah pretty much i mean what is there to say about the colts that hasn't already been said they have good uniforms yeah not stoked on them but they're good uh Tough one. I I really wanted to lean in. Uh, I'm gonna just give it an honorable mention uh, and just cap off, like just to cap off a great year uh, by this Arizona Cardinals uniform team. Uh, just worked worked as the ultimate neutral uh, to whatever was against it. And I'm not a red guy. I I am a I am a cool color 
blues, greens, purples. Uh, red is an accent. The, I'm wearing it on a hat just by happenstance. But but if your team uh, is named after a bird that is red. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm usually not a guy who likes, you know, an all red uniform. But the all reds that the Cardinals have had and their, you know, white variants against these Seahawks, just strong. The Cardinals have just been a good neutral against most uniforms all year. And especially with the dominance of blue, it always serves as a decent compliment. Uh, a game I watched truly none of. <laughs> Chiefs Chargers is just always so classic. It's, it's just such a staple. And I've just got to give it to them. Yeah. And I, I do like the alternating uh, – I. I I don't think it's totally uncommon, but it's not like super frequent uh, to go uh, colored jersey, white pants versus white jersey, colored pants. Just a nice little dichotomy there. And I like that out of the Chiefs and Chargers. And for the Chargers, their colored tops, white bottoms are their best uniforms for the Chiefs. They've got a lot of good uniforms, but I think the the white, uh, white uniform uh, or white jersey, colored pants – probably their best set, especially when it, you know, Chargers are wearing the white helmets, Chiefs are wearing the red helmets. It does a nice little breakup thing. Uh, just just very appealing to look at. I, again, have watched none of this game. <laughs> and that's not one that I expect you to watch, Kale. Please please don't engage with that game any further. That's, I'm not watching Blaine Gabbard. You can't make me. It was Blaine Gabbard? I don't even, like I said. I don't Blaine Gabbard started for the Chiefs. All right. He's one of those, like, if you body swap Blaine Gabbard and uh, C.J. Beathard, no way you could get me to know which one's which. Zero I don't know what either of them look like in the face. So. Right. So, and to me, it's like they both went to the same school, even though I know Gabbard went to Missouri and uh, Beathard went to Iowa. In my mind, they're just the same guy. And, like, you can't convince me otherwise. Missouri so. is is sort of the Iowa of the, <laughs> of the South. <laughs> Is it even the South? <laughs> I argue it's just in the SEC for no reason, but it's it counts. Yeah, they're good. They were good this year, so hopefully they can keep that rolling. Uh, rolling right into head scratchers. Perfect segue. Um, I I got one that's like it's more of a bozo head scratcher than like a specific sequence or a specific play head scratcher. But it just has to be said, and Kale, this is right up your alley because it involves maybe your favorite side character in the entire NFL right now, Jameis Winston. The New Orleans Saints were tied 17-17 with the Atlanta Falcons un until they weren't, basically, until Desmond Ritter decided he was going to start hitting DBs right between the numbers, and the Saints just ran away with this thing in the second half like a runaway freight train. Uh, and it's 41-17. to and there's a minute 20 left in the game, and the Falcons turn it over at their own one-yard line. So the game's over, and you figure they can take a knee, certainly. Uh, but you have Jamal Williams, who hasn't scored a touchdown all year, who led the league in touchdowns last year, and has just been, you know, grinding it out in New Orleans, all kinds of disappointment for him this year. And the team wants to let him get his one touchdown. And Jameis is leading the charge. And Dennis Smith says... No, you're not allowed to do that, uh, which, by the way, like all time, like the problem starts and ends there. Like Dennis, Dennis just has to be 
more flexible. I, mean, I keep calling him Dennis Smith. It's Dennis Allen. Uh, they ignore Dennis Allen. Again, not a good sign if your team is just ignoring the head coach. Jameis does it himself, but, you know, he said it was a team decision and other players on the team backed him, uh, no, notably uh, the the defensive guy. Shoot, I forgot which guy on Twitter backed him today. Not Demario Davis, the other one. Uh, Cam Jordan? Cam Jordan backed backed Jameis on, on X today. Uh, and so did Kamara last night. They go in, they line up as if they're going to kneel the ball, which again, big faux pas, like not a big deal if you just line up in a regular formation and run it in, but they line up to kneel it down and instead run it in. That leads to Arthur Smith getting very upset with Dennis Allen after the game. And rather than, you know, you can, you can see him mouthing. You can see Arthur Smith saying, that's effed up. That's BS. Apologize. Apologize. So what does Dennis Allen do when he first gets to the podium? Throws his whole team under the bus and apologizes. If that doesn't get you fired after you already should have been fired, you know, Jameis did all he could. If Jame- And if Jameis is the reason that Dennis Allen gets fired, he's getting unlimited po'boys and, and beers in New Orleans for the rest of his life if he wants them. Because that would be chef's kiss way for Allen to go out. Dude, grow, grow some, I'm not going to say anything, you know, sexist here, but, you know, stand your ground. Stand on business. Get some courage and back your team. Your team wanted Jamal Williams to get a touchdown. Back your team. No, I eh. like. I get. I get where you're coming from. Uh, you don't apologize like, for scoring a touchdown. This isn't. This isn't little league. Coming coming out in a victory formation and fake victory formation run in the end zone. I've agreed that part was when you're up 41 17 is a little is a bad is a bad move. I'm not saying I'm not saying from the player perspective, I'm saying for the coach. If he straight up didn't call and he's just like, Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe they did that. I don't totally blame them. (laughs) Cause it is like a disrespectful thing. And if it came from the coach, like I'm not saying you're totally throwing your team under the bus because like your team owned it but you've just got to at least deflect like yeah. it, you that immediately be your reaction is like no my guys are in the wrong uh because they wanted something and they wanted something for their guy and instead of backing their guy you backed your division rivals head coach who got fired less than five hours later that was that was you know it was a big like old school coaching fraternity like this is the way things have always been done sort of move, and I just can't get behind it. Agree to disagree. My head scratcher, Jacksonville. We, we just talked about how losing five of their last six, a division that was kind of squarely in their possession, uh, they were in control. It's winning in, and they're down to a, to a five-win Titans team. That is not – not doing well at quarterback has two offensive weapons in Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins, who are both, you know, aging. They, their defense is, is up and down. There's not – like, there's so many opportunities to succeed here. The Jaguars, final drive of the season, what it would end up being. They start this by running the ball eight yards. 
they then, and of course it opens up highlights instead of the box score. They then just target. They're, they get the ball, run it, immediate eight-yard gain. And this is a uh, Titans team that is, I think, finished 10th or 11th in defensive rushing DVOA, but has not been the same staunch running, like just real stout running defense as they've been of late. They've had some big slip-ups in the last five weeks where they're allowing some decent rushing attempts. They don't try and run it once on second and two for three straight plays. And I get, you know, clock running. This was all inside the two-minute warning at this point. Trevor Lawrence just straight up overthrows, like, like, will either throw behind or overthrow three different players in the course of this final drive. It is. Let's not forget the first of those, which was off the fingertips of Calvin Ridley, 60 yards downfield. Not the best throw, but also like, I, if I'm Calvin Ridley, I gotta have that ball. It's a, I lit, I literally just watched it. It's, it's a bit like it's not quite you know bread basket, but it's close. But just airmailing next to, airmailing the one to uh, Engram and airmailing the one to uh, I forget who's is fifteen. Uh, the guy from God, I'm I'm blanking on names. So you used to play in Arizona, Christian Kirk. Kirk's thirteen, but was it Kirk? Maybe it was Kirk. Uh, I, likely, considering I've never heard of a a fifteen receiver on the Jags. I'll tell you right now. Uh, uh, no, it wasn't Kirk. It was uh, oof, it was Tim Jones. Tim Jones. <laughs> Just making guys up. It's Tim Jones. It's Tim Jones, number 15. Oh, boy. He, he had 11 receptions for 83 yards on the season. Oh, that, another source that's of problems, that's right? crazy. I learned about a new player today. My goodness. Uh, he's a UDFA because uh, he does. I say that because he doesn't have a. Uh, it's his second season. He's a UDFA out of Southern Miss. Eesh. Career high, 32 yards. That's, what's, That's your what's guy worse? on third and two. What's worse, going to Tim Jones on third and two for his uh, – let me just check. Uh, his, uh, not, uh, his 18th target of the season. Would you rather go to Tim Jones for his 18th target of the season or Chase Claypool with the division on the line? I might rather go to Tim Jones. <laughs> it, sure, it sure looked to me like Claypool – Made his route a little too deep. Not that that excuses Tua throwing a lollipop, and he threw multiple lollipops on that last drive, but yikes. All right. Playoff time, Jackson. Playoff time. Let's get into it. Now, we're just going to go through the six games. We're going to talk about them in the order that they appear, and we're just going to give our thoughts on the game in no you know, structured format. It's just going to be what are we excited about Maybe a prediction here and there, but like, let's just get excited. That's the main goal here. Like, just give me, give me some juice for the super wild card weekend. And we begin, you know, interestingly enough, with the game that I might personally be most excited about. You know, this game for sure not getting the biggest ratings. In fact, they think it might get the worst ratings. And that's why it's in the early slot on the Saturday window. But Cleveland at Houston, uh, you talk about intrigue for like, 
ball knowers for guys that have been like, you know, just, just loving on people who have been performing all season. These two teams have earned their way here perhaps as much as anybody. And I'm so excited to watch them square off. Straight up the favorite film piece I wrote this year was the, uh, was the early season breakdown of the Jim Schwartz defense was so much goddamn fun. Uh, to watch those first three games where they were on, where that team was on full tilt. Uh, that Browns team was just going absolutely bonkers. Maybe it was week four, but uh, those first few weeks of that Browns defense is, is incredible. Now, I know that they are really banged up coming into this game, but the fact that this team still has a Miles Garrett, still has like just one of one of the best defensive lines in all of football. Uh I like <laughs> they're missing a ton of dudes. Like they are missing Denzel Ward being back in the picture, big. Uh Ogbo being back in the picture, also big. From there, like you're still missing guys. I'm trying to see. I thought they were missing more players. Uh, they sat Garrett uh, this week, which was good. Uh, damn, I really thought there were more guys out. I'm so glad this team is getting healthy. Uh, Dewan Jones is a guy, I guess. Uh, Rodney McLeod. Uh, now I'm just naming dudes. Uh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is so much fun. This is a I'm, – I'm excited to see playoff Joe. I'm excited to see a really young Texans team get a get a chance to make an upset. Before, like, this, we're one matchup in, but I just want to say, about uh, about any team could win a game this weekend, and I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that legitimately. This is a, like, high-variance Texans team with a really strong offense and a, you know, Texans are now, I think, without Grenard. And I'm pretty sure Texans have one or two guys go down this uh, game. But just a second in defensive DVOA defense in the Cleveland Browns versus a, you know, top 10 passing offense by DVOA in the Houston Texans. I am, I am beyond fired up for this matchup. I agree. Now, I was going to give uh, the DVOA rankings for each of these teams in context as to, you know, what we might expect. And I think this game is one of the most misleading uh, in terms of those DVOA rankings, because you look at the Cleveland Browns, they're 25th in offense and second in defense, 16th in special teams for an overall DVOA ranking of eighth. And that's already good enough. But I wish to heck that football outsiders still had the tab that you could click on that said DVOA since week, whatever, because clearly they're not the 25th ranked offense since Flacco's taken over. Jackson, I have got to show you around the spreadsheets because you can do that. I won't because it's hard, but I will go to RBSDM. So it's hard. He admits it's yeah, of course it is. Uh, <laughs> Of course it's hard. It's it's never going to be easy when you're doing it from a pivot table versus, uh, you know, just the straight up, uh, you know, system, uh, like, you know, built-in tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
the offensive DVOA since or the offensive EPA per play since Flacco took over isn't as strong as you think. It's still 27. And the drop back EPA per play is also 27. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, so throw it out the window. I guess they're still quote unquote bad. They're not that bad. It's just they're not like Houston, like funny enough, offensively in those last five weeks, they are next to Houston in EPA. Well, Houston not. lost Dell, like we said, like that. Yeah. That that was part of the other context I was gonna provide. Because Houston, uh if I'm just going back to like overall DVOA stuff, Houston's 12th overall, 14th offense, 17th defense, ninth special teams. But I think you would find that that was that offense was humming for a while there midseason. And Tank Dell having that two-headed monster with Dell and Collins was a huge reason for it. So I'm I'm upset that like of all the injuries that played out throughout the year, that's probably still the one I'm most upset about, not just because of what it does to the Texans, but because of how it happened. Like, don't put your 150 pound, you know, gadget receiver, not gadget, but like, you know, he's a small guy and he should not be at the bottom of a pile, the combined weight of a Mack truck on the goal line. So that, that, that will always upset me. Jackson, this is, let's just, Let's just rattle off for the people because we're going to be talking a lot of matchup stuff. Let's just rattle off all of the various uh, real uh, like narrative implications of each of these games quick. This is uh, the Deshaun Watson successor against the team that they traded Deshaun Watson to. He's actively doing yes. better uh, without Watson. Uh, did you see the uh, the new version of the Browns jersey going around? Where they put right the, I did. They did put the uh, uh, the survivor uh, uh, the assault survivor ally flag instead of Watson's name. Uh, beautiful small touch there. Uh, Only slightly undercut by the fact that he is still owed over two hundred million dollars guaranteed. Well, let's let's cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. I'm telling you, like their their vibes are good, and the people that know me know that I love wearing different hats on this show, and I've got a Cleveland Browns brownie the elf hat in the closet, ready to come out the day that Deshaun Watson is no longer in the picture. But as long as he's in the picture, can't do it. Sorry, brownie. Uh, also, just a quick uh, coaching pivot, small tangent. As the Titans' way head coach Mike Vrabel's future this weekend, he's interested in the idea of returning to the Patriots should New England part ways with Bill Belichick. Uh, not super news, but figure I'd bring it up. Let's go back. Miami, Kansas City. Tyree Kilbull. Uh, huge deal. Uh, should be a hyper-explosive offense game. Uh, I that'll That's a fun narrative one, Tyreek's return to Arrowhead, because uh, the last time they played together was in Germany. Uh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo. Just well, a- can we just do the narratives for each one at the end of the preview? Oh, like I was gonna just rattle them off so we get them out of the way, but yeah, let's. Well, I think, I think we we go narratives at the end of the section. Like that's that's the most. That's that's like the the last little cherry on top. Okay. So right. like let's let's Kansas City. Let's dive in. Absolutely. Dive in. Now, um, I had a little you know one sentence written down for each game to kind of start it off, and I think for me it's Waddle and Mostert coming back is the thing that's making this interesting for me. Because I have not enjoyed – we've talked about it. We have not enjoyed watching Miami's offense lately. But 
you know, there have been times this year where they looked like a wagon and theoretically they should be the healthiest they've been in a month and a half, if not longer. So that at least provides some intrigue for me where, you know, even if Miami's not going on a deep playoff run, maybe they can resurrect that magic long enough to, to stave off what's clearly a lessened version of the playoff dominant chiefs. And for the chiefs, meanwhile, this is probably their one home game. So this is their chance to, you know, ride out the old playoff magic that they've had ever since Mahomes got into the building. Well, that is, that is assuming that Buffalo beats Pittsburgh, uh, which in a sloppy weather game, uh, probably anything can go. Uh, Yeah. This I keep thinking of as a defensive game. Uh, this, like, I get what you're saying. It's really going to come down to a, a pretty elite uh, Kansas City Chiefs defense coming against a high-powered Miami Dolphins offense that, you know, held a, held a good a, a, a top five in EPA per play Buffalo offense. Uh, two 14 points. Like, letting up a special team touchdown should not be uh, the end-all, be-all. Definitely important, but, like, it shouldn't take away from a really stout defensive performance uh, game-wide by the uh, by the Miami Dolphins, who have just had a really strong defense of late. Now, can't say – Kansas City Chiefs defense the last time they played Miami. Uh, why was that a word salad? I don't know. Uh, but really, like, Spags is spitting in this game. Just going all, like, truly going all out in this game. Uh, a minus 41.2% single game DVOA uh, in Germany. Uh, in defensive passing DVOA. Uh, I think their third best outing, no, fourth best outing of the year. But shut down a McDaniel offense that kind of continues to just putter toward the end, uh, like just sputter out toward the end. This is, again, uh, hampered by an injury bug, uh, which is tough, but just getting in your last four, like let's call them five games. Like losing to the Titans, only putting up 27 points against one of the worst passing defenses in the league. Blanking the Jets 30 out. Barely beating the Cowboys in a pretty unimpressive offensive game. And then 56 19, 21 14. This is a. This is an offense that like has not performed well against good defenses all year. Save the Jets, who should be touted as a good defense. But yeah, and that's like that's the type of thing where how much credit are you going to give the offense for just punching it in every time the Jets give it back to you in their own red zone? Like they didn't they didn't win that game because they played great on offense. The Jets just handed it to them both times, and they took advantage to their credit. But it's not like they were, you know putting together clutch drives when they needed them. They kept getting chances over and over again. So we'll see how that game goes. It'll be very interesting to see how, like, you know, the 2021 Chiefs, the last time 
Uh, I was going to say last time I went to a Super Bowl, they're reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't go in 2021, ironically enough. Yeah. But they they were the team who kind of woke up late in season and rolled in further to the playoffs. The like caught a hot Bengals team, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle a Miami Dolphins defense led by Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard, and Javon Holland. I'm very curious to see it. It's going to be an uphill battle for them on the playoffs, but we shall see. Yeah, I mean, if we're turning to narratives for a second here, uh, the one that I'm surprised you didn't immediately mention because it is your headline today, uh, the Tua stuff is they're going to start really the calls for Tua's replacement are going to come in pretty hot and heavy, uh, assuming they lose this game. And, uh, you know, he's he's not got his extension. So there's no time like the present to do that replacing if you're going to do it. And meanwhile, uh, you know, Dolphins fans who we've experienced at Kale, they've been insufferable about defending this guy uh, in the past. They are not at this point in time. I'll, uh, I'll read you a tweet from a number one Finn fan whose handle is at Elite Tua. And if you can't trust at Elite Tua's takes on Tua, then I don't know who you trust. Uh, 17 hours ago, he tweeted a picture of Tua saying, they say you're a choker, number one. They say you're bad in January, number one. They say you're bad versus good teams, number one. They say you're Josh Allen's son, number one. They say Buffalo owns you, number one. They say you're not built for it, number one. How will you respond? Five hours later, quote tweet, they were right again. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to keep going. If they don't win this game, That's that's those calls aren't going to get any quieter. They, listen, they nailed it. The people, the people know ball. Uh, it's, again, we've, t- we've talked about the, uh, We've talked about when Tua gets off rhythm and is immediately thrown out of the pocket, it gets a little dicey for him. But this, like, and, and we know Spagnuolo can bring exotic pressures. We'll see how this game goes, but it it is a real, like, this is Tua's legit first playoff game. It's yeah. kind of put up a shut-up time. And in every other, you know, playoff clinch scenario or – uh playoff do or die game he's played so far he's had one of his worst games you know excluding last night which you know maybe not one of his worst games but certainly by no means a good game uh you think about the 2020 and 2021 seasons they had a chance uh to go to the playoffs with a win in the final week of the season both times uh they got absolutely plastered by buffalo that 2020 season and i forget who did it to them in 21 so bad memory on my part but they didn't win that one either uh, and last year they barely snuck in on the back of, you know, good luck and Skylar Thompson winning in week 18. So it's kind of all we're working with here is uh, – To be know, fair, it was it was the Jets. It wasn't luck. They luck. played the Jets. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 a game you should win. Not going to lie. That's, that's, that's a game you should win. So – He's he's got to come through at some point, or the, the writing's going to be on the wall. And whether it's 
whether it's a big salacious name like Lawrence or I'll even throw, you know, crazy as it sounds, Justin Herbert to Miami. How, how crazy would that go? Uh, or whatever, whatever the case may be, people are not going to be uh, excited for a long-term future with Tua, assuming that they do not uh, step up and win this game, which I, it doesn't sound like either of us are picking them to do. Uh, I might. I, I haven't like laid out picks yet. Risky. It's not a uh, it's not a thing. I could like again, like I said, I could easily see either team winning this game. Uh, I can see any more so than any other year. This playoff seating could be all upsets, all chalk, and anywhere in between. I wouldn't be surprised by it. it feels like a cop out, but like. I could see the Chiefs dropping this pretty easy. Yeah. If this offense just doesn't show up, I don't know. I could also see, again, the Dolphins not showing up. It's I mean, there is a case to be made that, like, you know, if Miami wins that game last night, they're just hosting Buffalo again this week. The, the best case scenario for Miami would have been tying, thereby getting themselves the two seed and dropping Pittsburgh to the seventh. So, I don't know. They, there's a case to be made that they're in a better spot even going to KC than having to play Buffalo again, but I still think – Home versus road, Miami is such a different team, and I think I think the same of KC in the playoffs. I think going in there and winning an Arrowhead has only been done by Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. So, not sure two is looking to join that list. We shall see. Next up, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers. Heading to Buffalo, 10-point underdogs, biggest spread of the first round. And Kale is not looking at it as a guarantee that Buffalo gets this done. Kale, I agree with you. I would still feel best about Buffalo, aside from every team but maybe Dallas in this first round. But, you know, lay, lay it out there. What's what's so concerning about this game for Buffalo? It's just that it's going to be hell weather-wise. Uh, if I pull up the forecast for Orchard Park, New York. I'm pretty sure it is going to be. Uh, do you have the Do you have the exact time for this? Because I can really get it down to a to a good window for you. One o'clock Sunday. Uh so it'll have been snowing for at least a day. Uh, <laughs> gonna be a, it's gonna be a low of 22, high of 23. So just real right in that ballpark. Uh, and there's a high wind warning effect until. Uh, next Wednesday, uh, with sal- with gusts up to seventy, <laughs> uh, so uh, pretty inclement. They are going to get uh, rain, shit you not, uh, a, a rain snow mix Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then snow Saturday, Sunday. This is how it ended for them last year. You do make a good point there. But at the same time, it's one thing to trust Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, et cetera, at his disposal going into that wintry mix. Mason Rudolph heading in there and winning a game. I'm not going to say it's impossible by any means, but that would ruffle my feathers a little bit. I would uh, have to reevaluate some of how I do uh, you know, my quarterback internal evaluations if Mason Rudolph walked into that scenario and came out with a dub. Uh, so driving yeah. through high floor, uh, I, just being able to do it against I'm lost, just being able to do it against Ravens backups, uh, like a mix of, 
I know they sat everyone on offense. I don't know their sitting stat on defense. Uh, I assume that, like, Roquan didn't play. I knew Jadavian Clowney played because he got he got a hefty, hefty day off of a, a single sack. But the uh, – It's not like their offense was even that good in this game, but enough to win. Uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. it's. I mean, but I'm saying, like, when it gets down in the muck like this and you are relying on fresh legs, Najee, like the reason you run Jalen Warren so often the early part of the year is that you can keep Najee fresh late. You've got Najee, you've got Jalen Warren, you've got a quarterback who, frankly, threw 18 for 20. Like, let's not let that fly under the radar that Mason Rudolph, I'm sure if we pull up the NGS, it's an ugly chart and a chart that we'd laugh at if it was a high caliber quarterback and i'm going to do it right now just to double check but i'm sure it's not like it's not pretty but like the fact that he could get it done in weather yeah he had (laughs) both his incompletions were two of his three passes outside of 10 yards and the other one went for a 15 yard uh or 15 air yard touchdown pass uh the if you can just have a guy complete in short yardage, the last time the Bills were in a playoff game in, in what we thought was Bills weather, it did not go well. So this is a team that now runs the ball more. Uh, this is a team that uh, has a little bit more going for them on the ground in general. Uh, and their offensive line is just solid. Uh, and I think they're also just getting more out of their short yardage options. Uh, like just having a, Having a Trent Sherfield step up a little bit more this season has been valuable. And under – you look at the passing chart for Allen. Like, he's been throwing a lot more under the middle stuff. He's still got some crazy YOLO balls in him. Like, he's still got some crazy, like, 20, 30, 40-plus yard touchdown passes this season that are exclusively air yard balls. But, like, he's been doing better managing the ball under the knee, uh, underneath, especially since the Dorsey firing. And if he's I, able to do that in a short weather game, that's a big deal. I agree. And more importantly, I think uh, if you're looking at a situation where it's like a crucial catch they need to have, have you noticed, like I have, that Gabe Davis is nowhere to be found and Khalil Shakir's name frequently starting to appear at the top of their uh, receiving leaders charts at the end of games. And last night, he goes six for six on targets with 105 yards to lead the Bills. And some of those were either like second and long, third and long, big plays, you know, burning guys down the sideline. He gets the catch inside the five to set up the go-ahead touchdown. Big coming out party in the last couple of weeks for Shakir. Absolutely. A, a huge deal there uh, for the fifth-round pick. Yeah. yeah. Getting these wide receiver threes in, I it'll be interesting to see about Gabe Davis's status. But even still, uh, he's an all he's a boomer bust guy. He's an all or nothing deep ball guy. Uh, so he's his powers are mitigated in uh, in a game like this. Now let's talk narratives. You know, a lot of it is about the Bills. Win a lot of it is about the weather. Like I think yeah. this is just pure like grit and grind, old school Rust Belt football. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, if you're looking at the Steelers side of things, I think win, lose, or draw, the fact that not only is Mason Rudolph your clear starter in this game, but the fact that 
uh, they ran a poll on Twitter today. It was like, who would you, you know, want to start this game, assuming everyone's healthy? And it was like 85% Rudolph, 15% Pickett. I want to talk to the 15% Pickett, see the world through their eyes for a moment, because to me, it's it's never been more clear that after two years, you know, a team is admitting defeat on a first-round pick quarterback. Also, you're not going, <laughs> of all the games, to go tiny hands. You're not going <laughs> in the bad weather. No. Not going, you're not going sub freezing bad weather. No. And side note, how bad is Mitch Trubisky? Like this season couldn't be a worse reflect. Like a guy that a lot of teams viewed as like a serviceable step in starter after his year in Buffalo and, you know, getting the chance to compete. And, you know, at the, at the beginning of last year, he quote unquote won the Steelers job briefly. Could not look worse right now than he does after losing those two games to Arizona and New England, and then Rudolph steps in and just immediately turns the team back into a playoff team. Turning them back into a playoff team is a stretch. Uh, I, I were they in playoff position for? Sure were. I, I never betting against Tomlin's always a mistake. Uh, but this is like narrative-wise, this is just pure like rust belt, how bad do you want it kind of game for me. Like this is just this is just like old school nose to the ground football. I think there's larger implications about like who the Bills are if they win or lose this game, how they shake out in the playoff picture. Do they just immediately ascend back to like legit contender status, even though they've they've had such an unnatural or atypical route to a uh, two seed, but uh, I, I yeah I agree with you saying that the uh, that the Bills like just on paper opponent wise have the best shot to uh, you know go chalk in their game. It's just that weather game is the ultimate leveling factor. Yeah, the last thing I'll add is that the odds makers certainly agree. Uh, they have the Bills installed as the second favorites in the AFC, and it's not the fact that they are second. It's by how much that surprises me. Ravens, obviously, the clear-cut favorites, plus 140. Bills, 280, and then it jumps to 450 for the defending champion Chiefs, 750 for the Dolphins, and then here might be probably the most intriguing one, 14-1 to 1 for Cleveland. I mean, I would if I were to bet, which I'm not going to, but if I were to bet, that 14-1 to 1 Cleveland seems clearly like the best value. Yeah, value-wise for sure. NFC time. Green Bay-Dallas up first, the 4 o'clock window on Sunday. Talk about a game that we've seen before now. (laughs) If I'm going to start the narratives right off the top, I don't see it happening. But imagine if Jordan Love recreates the Cowboys fans celebrating. They think it's over, still 120 out on the clock, and then Love comes out and leads the game-winning field goal drive in Dallas. You want to talk about a full-circle moment. That would be hilarious if that were the way this ends. Uh, The – I'm so – I'm so high on this Packers team, and it's just this defense is so bad (laughs) – yeah. And CD Lamb is just going to go for 400 yards. Agreed. We're not doing our. I mean, talk. About, we, we've just talked all year about things we miss about FO. What I miss about FO is the SAF fantasy playoff draft, uh, and I recreated it with my fantasy league from back home this year. So we've got 
seven teams competing in the same format, just without an article being written about it on a popular football website. And uh, I had the second overall pick and I took CeeDee Lamb. So hoping for big things out of number 88 in, in blue and uh, silver slash internal turquoise. Uh, that's that's my guy right there. I think in that format, you're the most games you're getting out of a Niner or a Raven is three. So you just need the Cowboys to get to the NFC Championship game, and CD's getting his three games, and I think he's going to go bonkers this postseason. Yeah, I fantasy data doesn't do a good job with uh, like I, that's where I go for all my uh, target share info uh, and like snap count split but the also the sorry they say you're a choker number one uh they say you're bad in january number one uh that that just got retweeted on my timeline by uh by dirtbag queer uh victoria zeller uh on twitter all times <laughs> all times man all-time two to get a bills account uh posted onto my timeline uh, uh, to, or to have the Bills account posted on my timeline, but the uh, the back to the game at hand. The, the it's just too one sided. I think it like we could make it an offensive shootout, but it's just too one sided of a game. I think this is like the real legit favorite game here. I see it. I. I really, really like the Cowboys in this postseason, in this specific game. Like they are the team that I feel most confident in that's playing this weekend. Because obviously the Niners and Ravens, I, I it's dangerous how much I feel like those two are the favorites. Like I feel like one of them is bound for a letdown just based on how confident I feel in those two. But of the teams that are playing this weekend, I feel most confident in the Cowboys. And the only reason to not feel confident in them is the fact that it's the Cowboys is the fact that it's the name on the Jersey that hasn't made it to an NFC championship game since 1995. And we're talking about them, you know, they should go back this year. And that in and of itself is worrisome, particularly when you consider the karmic implications of them having to host Detroit again in round two, that would be uh, that that's the one game where like, if you're trying to crack the code, on the playoff fantasy draft, that's the one that you have to take a stance on one way or another. Muted. I didn't have much important to say anyway. Uh, I just cannot. <laughs> Prophetic. Uh, narratives. I. It, it's Mike McCarthy. It, it's, it is like the Cowboys have not even fully guaranteed that Mike McCarthy will come back. And the fact he could be ousted by his former team is very intriguing. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. Uh, I think it would happen uh, potentially later against a, a, a Lions team that wins, a Rams team that wins, who's to say. But uh, I guess they, I guess it's impossible to get the Rams because they're only, – Only if uh, – oh, wait, yeah, you're right. It is impossible. It's impossible for them to get the Rams. So it's, it's Detroit – Eagles or Bucks, but uh, we shall see. Uh, I keep I keep relying on that because this is literally the most out there NFL playoff weekend that I've seen yet. 
Uh, and the Cowboys, the Cowboys are a, are a bit of a poop their pants team. Sometimes they just yeah. kind of, they just kind of collapse out of nowhere for no reason. I don't think the lights are too bright yet. I think if they legitimately get the, uh, if they legitimately get uh, past this game, they probably get an NFC Championship game, and then they poop their pants. But uh, well, that's the thing is like there's still so many opportunities for the poop the pants game. This this reminds me of last year when they went into Tampa and just handled business. Like there's just as much as we love what the Packers have done this year, that defense can't stop this Cowboys yeah. offense. Like there's just, if that, if they allow that to happen, then Mike shouldn't be allowed to leave the building that night. That's, that's a bridge too far because they are an objectively awful defense. And the, and the Cowboys have been one of the top five offenses in the league, pole to pole all season long. So if they can't handle business here, that's it. Uh, I feel quite confident in that game. Next up game that we kind of just teased Stafford returns home. The first playoff game in the history of Ford Field and Matt Stafford is the opposing quarterback. I mean, that's, that's why this is in the primetime slot Sunday night. I mean, this is narrative fuel as high octane as you can bring it. Uh, and yet I feel like I have a read on this game, but I want to hear yours first. Uh, you can go ahead because I don't have a read on this game. Uh, it is a it is a team that is fully like this D, uh, Detroit Lions team is pretty much fully stocked for a defensive return. Uh, getting CJ Gardner Johnson uh, and Aline McNeil back, I believe uh, they've they've just been activating guys off IR uh, the last two weeks and look officially fully competent uh, to be able to play uh, real ball. Uh, I am really looking forward uh, to this game that has the biggest, like, hard matchup moment of, like, Stafford returning to Detroit, golf playing against his former team in his uh, first playoff game since leaving the Rams. Like, ultimate, you know, clashing of, uh, you know, former teams that I am very excited for. I, I see all those angles, and I do respect the heck out of what the Rams have done the second half of the season. I respect the heck out of Stafford, you know, not just rejuvenating, but like ever since he returned to the lineup, they've been a different offense. I respect the heck out of Puka Nakua and what he's done breaking all the records his year. I saw the draft clip today from the Rams' official team account where they had the behind-the-scenes video of McVay and Les uh, Sneed talking about you know, what they want to do in that draft slot and uh, how much they like Puka. I love all that stuff. All that being said, the Rams' most impressive feats this year have been losing in overtime in a rain game against the Ravens and beating the Browns in Joe Flacco's first start in a game that was, like, pretty much tied until Flacco threw a pick in the fourth quarter. So other than that, like, you're 10-7. and seven. I respect the heck out of you. Your wins are... Seahawks, Colts, Cardinals, Seahawks again, Cardinals again, Browns, and then Commanders, Saints, Giants, and, you know, this past week, which didn't mean anything because it was Wentz versus Darnold. So, like, not seeing it yet with the Rams. I I feel like the energy in that building is going to be so charged. And, yes, I like the whole Stafford comes home and spoils the party narrative, but I also just like the party. 
give me give me the Lions in this game. I feel like there's just too much like good vibes mojo coming out. And also, do you know what the single lowest rated position unit is by DVOA in the playoffs? It's in this game. Uh single low single lowest is it Rams defensive passing uh Rams are 32nd in special teams special Something, teams something's going wrong on special teams for the Rams in this game I just don't know what it is yet but they've been bad in the kicking game they don't do well covering they might fumble a punt at some point like I'm just telling telling the audience now some negative special teams play is going to happen for LA in this game Detroit's not exactly. I guess Detroit is pure zero, uh, slightly below negative, uh, or, or yeah, slightly negative. But uh, they're nineteenth. We're talking thirty yeah, seconds. It is straight up dead middle. Uh, yeah. So negative nine point eight percent special teams for uh, the Rams, thirty first. So not only are they negative nine point eight. New England, 31st. They're only negative 3.4. So we're talking by far the worst special teams DVOA. I always, I'm always curious about how uh, those play. Like, New England was bad in 2022 and had one of, like, they like had their personal worst in franchise history, but had so much of it dragged down by the, uh, the, Double uh, Najee Harris, not Najee Harris. Uh, who's the week 18 Colts running back? Yeah, that? Uh, Na- Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines, yeah. Uh, had the Naheem Hines uh, double touchdown week 18 game. Uh, and they only finished negative 4.3%. So, like, it shows you how truly bad this Rams team is. But I'm just curious what is the impetus, like, how many touchdowns am i forgetting about that they've given up how many well you've got the game ending one against baltimore in that game where i said they were you know their most impressive performance of the season and yet punt return touchdown to end it that doesn't help forgot about that the uh, punt returner for the ravens too not even their top guy they they have a ludicrous like the the negative 24.2 in punt is insane i've never seen a negative 17 point uh, seven uh, field goal and extra point. That's crazy. Yeah, and they yeah, again, they just don't have – they don't really have a kicker. That that doesn't help. Doesn't help. You're right. On to the next one, unless you have more. On to the last one, in fact. Philly-Tampa. Maybe the which game is, that wait, have, hold on. Which of these games is on Peacock? Uh, Miami-Kansas City. not have access to? Miami-Kansas City is That's so – messed up it is it's terrible everyone's seen the meme by now uh selena gomez whispering in taylor swift's ear and the tweet says hey i heard travis's game is on peacock and she just goes like it's it's terrible it's really atrocious that that's what they're doing to us it's one thing to like make us subscribe to prime video for a full season of thursday night football but to spring it on us late in the season like hey we have this Bills-Chargers game that you can only get on Peacock, and then two weeks later, nope, you also have a playoff game on Peacock. Like that. Prime Video is at yeah. least easy. Like Prime Video is like, oh, if you have an Amazon Prime account, you have a Prime Video account. Correct. Peacock is just straight up like a niche service. Like this is the like all the Premier League like, fans out there are 
counting their chickens. They're like, oh, this is easy. We love Peacock. No one else is. Yeah. This is this is exclusively for soccer and NASCAR fans. And, and office reruns. And, dude, did you know at one point NBC based their entire pricing model on Peacock around how much office you could watch? Like it was, there was one, there was one tier of of like certain series of The Office with commercials. The next one was uh, the uh, like full full office on a bridge, no commercials, and then the last one was like you also get exclusive behind the scenes and like DVD commentary, and like they they sort of had their pricing model around just The Office, so. Shows you the state of that streaming service and how sense to me. well they know how. I'm upset. Because and I believe that I have access to it via, you know, back channels. Someone in the family is paying for it somehow. But, like, come on. It's a playoff football game. They, it's, it's, the, it's the steroids version of we're going to air this show immediately after the Super Bowl and get residual runoff, like, I think I don't. I think they premiered like Big Bang Theory. They've premiered like shows after the Super Bowl and being like, "Hey, this is our lead out. Uh, we're gonna get a ton of views for this. Someone's gonna want to watch." And that's that's this on steroids, where it's like, "Hey, you're gonna forget about Peacock when you cancel this free trial in a week." Here's uh, here's the uh, you know season finale of La Brea. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Obvious money grab, and it's going to work because football is football, and that's that's what I think is annoying us about it. So uh, on that note, a game that is on Fox, Philly-Tampa. No, that's on ESPN Monday night. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, you're so right. Uh, which I also think is dumber uh, than having it on Peacock, having this be the Monday night game. Oh, I've hated the Monday night thing ever since it it's started. It's crazy. This is so weird. Because they uh, make us now they make us wait until four o'clock on Saturday, which I guess they did before when it was only four games. But like you're telling me we're adding two games and we still have to wait all Saturday for the playoffs to start? Like, come on now. Where's the Saturday early window? Frankly, the this is the game I'm most worried about. <laughs> the Eagles are one and five in their last six. Uh, same as the Dolphins, but like the Eagles have just looked hapless. Uh, losing, like it is, it is one thing to lose a one touchdown game to the Buffalo Bills. It is another entirely to lose like 27 7, 27 10. I forget the final score of that Giants game, but it was bad. It was bad. Uh, you shouldn't allow that to happen to the New York Giants. You were playing for a playoff game and you got waxed. Uh, the defense is completely broken. It's already banged up. Uh, way too young. The offense has been uh, pretty wholly unproductive. I think they've actually uh, they've fallen well out of the top ten of offensive DVOA. I just want to check that. Uh, yeah, they are barely hanging on. They are tenth, uh, and it's mostly off the strength of that rushing offense. But this is a this is a team that is kind of fully broken, and I'm worried about how well uh, they handle a an upstart box team that, like we said, 9-0 against the Panthers is nothing special. But no, man, this, like, is, this, 
this is the game where like either team is thrilled that they're playing the other one and any other team is like, why couldn't we draw them in the first round? These are, these teams are limping in and the bucks. I mean, the bucks offense has been bad. The Eagles offense has been bad for a long time. The Eagles defense is the much bigger problem. Uh, weirdly enough, like Todd Bowles and his defense, when we, when we did our preseason pod, Todd Bowles was the odds on first coach fired favorite. And now He's a defensive coach leading a defense that we feel probably the best about of any of the four units in this playoff game. Yeah. Uh, they are. Finger got bent in half. That's a big deal too. Oh no. He avoided the break. Still uh, it got bent in half. Yeah. Well, it's, there's no ligament damage. Uh, so AJ he, Brown he, and Devonte Smith have got hurt in the last two weeks. They might both play. We'll see, but seems tenuous at best either that they'll both play or that they'll both be as effective as they you know can be at their best if we're ranking upsets i would go eagles one as most likely which is tough to say in a four or five game uh eagles one they are three point favorites so yeah it's it's, it's a catch closer uh two it's it's some combination of uh, Kansas City and Buffalo, if only Buffalo's sake for the weather. Buffalo over Cleveland? Uh, is that, like, really an upset? The Houston Cleveland Titans? is two-and-a-half-point road favorites. I mean, that's basically what the Eagles are, three points. So oh, I, I would much – if Cleveland's two-and-a-half-point road favorites, I definitely do not – like, I don't think they're upset candidates. I think they like have a good chance of handling business uh, over Houston. I'm more saying the like I am more worried about the Bills in a crazy wet game or the Chiefs in a high variance Dolphins game uh, than either of those. And the Dolphins are. are you the, think you think uh, Cleveland is more likely to win their game than both Buffalo and Kansas City? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but like if that's the case, run to the sports book now and put your 14 to 1 Cleveland uh, AFC champion ticket down. Yeah, I guess so. It's, I mean, I don't know about them going all the way. I'm just saying against Houston. I'm just saying right now, like this, like this super wild card weekend matchup to matchup, I think that Cleveland just has the bet, like the best and most handleable matchup. Well, let's really make the case then because. Say one of those two other teams loses, then you're talking Cleveland might be either at KC or at Buffalo next week instead of going to Baltimore. So then it really opens up for them because obviously Baltimore is going to be tough for anyone. That's Cleveland could go in there and win. They did it once already with Deshaun, but I think, you know, Baltimore's clearly coming in. They're rested. They're the hottest momentum team in the AFC right now. Like, if you're Cleveland and you get a Kansas City upset or a Buffalo upset, then all of a sudden that roadmap for you to win the AFC is looking pretty nice. Going into Buffalo or going into uh, Baltimore, actually, I think like doesn't totally hurt them. Like going into a divisional opponent for it's true, it is a third time matchup. Throws kind of anything goes deal, and yeah, they already have. Uh, like Cleveland's one win against Baltimore came in Baltimore. So like, but like they swapped games, but they were both on respective road trips. So yeah. 
and again, very weird game. Deshaun played his best game as a Brown in his last game as a Brown this year. Uh, yeah. Everything's different the next time around, but you know they're not going to be intimidated walking in there. Uh, all of this has nothing to do, of course, with Philly Tampa, which we will now resume talking about, however briefly, uh, having expressed our serious fears about the Eagles. Um, I'll flip it. Like, what? How crazy would it be to see the Eagles back in the Super Bowl? Acting like none of this ever happened. Very, very. I agree. Uh, this is I not the. It's it's not the same defense. I think it's. I'm I'm very worried about them uh, down the stretch. Uh, it's it's a two note offense. Uh, like just two, two running backs, two wide receivers. The uh, full run back of this team is going to be a little bit, a uh, little bit tough, but. Uh, especially just like the road, like they win this game, they play. Uh, he they, win this, they win this game, they immediately likely end up playing San Francisco if everything else goes chalk, which I do expect out of the NFC. I do expect the NFC more uh, to be more chalk than the uh, AFC. Yeah, but and we've talked about the four big NFC teams all year, and now it feels like. Two and a half, maybe three, and I don't count the Eagles in that whatsoever. No, uh, the Eagles are definitely fourth of those four now after a ten and one start, which is crazy. Would you rather say you're putting a long shot bet down and say the odds are the same: Eagles to win the NFC or Rams to win the NFC? Uh wow. I'd still go Eagles just off the like I I just think Detroit like Detroit is like that much better of a first round matchup than Tampa Bay uh, that I think it's a little tougher to like prognosticate that but like best on best the Eagles at least like. Actually, no, I can't say that. I was going to say at least the Eagles showed up against San Francisco, but like they kind of <laughs> not really. Yeah, and it's not. It's, it's not even team. like obviously they they played San Francisco twice, did the Rams, and you know that. Third, yeah, look, I guess if you're thinking, around, just just look at how they are right now. Not even common opponents, like just going in opposite directions. Yeah, I get you. I still uh, agree, though. I would take the Eagles in that twosome, but I don't think either of them have a chance. It's going to come more, down. To it's more about the first round matchup than the San Francisco matchup. Yes, fully, fully support that. And as much as I don't see it for the Eagles, I do think they have a good chance just to beat a Tampa team that, you know, above their above their pay grade to even be here. Happy to be here. Obviously, they're looking for the plucky upset, but they've looked really bad the last two weeks too. In addition to not really being like a playoff caliber roster, they've they've limped in not quite as much as the Eagles, but close to it. So I will I will take the Eagles in this matchup and immediately take them to lose next round. All right. Little playoff cheap seats. You feeling it? Make it quick. Playoffs the game will not be cheap. No. But let's talk, let's talk about the games that are like attainable. Because you've got a $404 get-in price to the Rams-Lions uh, game, which makes sense. So I'm going to throw that one out. And the only other one I'm going to throw out 
is Green Bay Dallas because you look at the page, it's a classic Dallas switcheroo. Tickets as low as $111. Not really. (laughs) So those are the two that are out. Otherwise, here are your options. $88, Miami at Kansas City. Forget paying for Peacock. Just pay $88 to go to Kansas City. $111. Oh, sorry, I just said that one. $118, Philly at Tampa. Raymond James Stadium in the pirate ship. Go for it. Little more coin here, 170, Cleveland at Houston, the game we've said we are excited about, but it is in Houston, which is not a stadium anybody likes much. $196, you're in the slush. Have fun in Buffalo. Make sure to bring an extra jacket. Four options. What's your cheap seat? It's got to be the Eagles Dolphins, or the Chiefs Dolphins. Uh, Just the most explosive uh, possible matchup there. Uh, feels like the most potential for fireworks. You've just got to respect that uh, it, on its own as a potential, uh, like, just good football game overall. Like, maybe Browns-Texans, but it feels like such a downgrade in terms of pedigree that I don't know. It's a lot of money, too. It's double the price. It's double the price, you're right. Got to factor that in. And look. I know we're talking cheap seats and which value is the best, but I think the best value for this weekend is parked at home on the couch. Not yes, gonna, like, if I'm a fan of one of these teams, I get it, but I'm going to love being indoors this weekend and watching all six football games. That That is damn right. That is honestly preferred way to watch most football games. Most like, of them. Go, I agree. It is the least attendable sport. Absolutely. And it's like, you almost have to have more respect for the crazy guys that wear, you know, chest paint and gigantic bead necklaces where the beads are the sizes of footballs and spikes on their heads. Like that's a real, that's a lifestyle at that point. Like you're making a very serious commitment. And those are like, that's what people know them as all throughout walks of life. So that could never be me. Cause I don't even like going to football games. I'd rather watch at home. Yeah, it is like, you got to respect for Armin at a certain point. You get why he retired and why he came back because those yeah. men are sickos. Side note: I went to a brewery this weekend and drank a beer called Fireman End, and it was Bud Light. Essentially, it was a four point two percent lager, and I was like, "This is what Fireman End's putting his name on? Basically, oh. just water." Good for them. <laughs> That's all we got. I'm so excited for the playoffs. I think you can tell by not just how long we've gone, but like there's a. There's a lot of energy, not only in this pod, but around the football landscape. This is one of the best times of year. And we have much more to dissect, but uh, Kale, playoff football is here. Let's go. Nothing better. Nothing better. The last the last few licks of the season. You got to savor every drop. Yeah. Sandwich is almost gone, folks. And we'll be here to, to collect the crumbs when it is. So enjoy the weekend. Hopefully we help to get you ready. But in the meantime, for Kale, I'm Jackson, and we'll see you next Tuesday. See ya.